Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. I'm like, girl, you just told me about your landing strip, and now it's <laughs> this is crickets. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know. This ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hey, 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 lovers. Welcome to another exciting episode of Dates and Mates. Real talk, y'all. When was the last time you discussed money on a date? Hmm? What, what's, what's that? Never? <laughs> That's because it is and it has always been a taboo topic on dates. Of course, until the check comes. Well, I think it's time that we destigmatize talking about money on a date. And I'm hearing a lot of people who, who are concerned about making investments or buying properties before they are partnered. And that is all why I have best-selling author and host of the Money Rehab podcast, Nicole Lappin, joining me on Dates and Mates today. She'll be outlining how to navigate the conversation and develop a financial love language for a happier, healthier, and more secure relationship. But our first big headline today is, do you have a type? Well, maybe what you think you want and what you actually prefer don't really match up. Then later in Dear Demona, I'll tackle this spicy question. After having our first video chat, I can no longer see myself kissing my match. What do I do? All right, lovers, get your spreadsheets ready for today's episode because it's time to dish. These dating dish. Well, I've said this for a minute, but now I got receipts. According to a new study from the University of Toronto, what we think we like in a romantic partner and what we actually prefer, they don't always match up. This new study was published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, and it examined how what we say we want and what we actually want and how we act upon what we actually want, they are not really all that strongly correlated. The qualities that we think we like in a partner depend on the social context in which we encounter these qualities. So an example from this article, you attend a great party and the people you meet there happen to be funny or funny to you. They make you laugh. And then you come away thinking, Gosh, I prefer funny people, but that is situational to that particular party in that particular time. You might go to a different party and you really like thoughtful people or people who talk about politics or 
People, sorry, was that the third rail, y'all? <laughs> I won't talk about politics. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about politics. But you might say if you're in a group of people that are talking about politics and you all agree and you're having a great conversation about it, maybe you say, oh, now I like talking about politics or I want to date someone who talks about politics when you're not making the correlation to the situation in which that, that feeling was evoked. And what this study really showed was that people were more likely to be attracted to a certain quality after they had experienced it. So Andre Wang, who's one of the co-authors of the study, said it could be that people are so constrained by their own ideas about liking that they are limiting their dating pool. And understanding the distinction between what we think we like versus what actually drives us to like something can be a useful tool. And you know what else can be useful? <laughs> Listening to this podcast, because I've been talking about this forever, everybody. I've been talking about how we really need to clarify when we say we like a certain trait or we have a certain type, I want to get underneath that. And the good news is that on OkCupid, really since the pandemic, we are seeing that people are more open to dating someone who is not what they classify as their type. But I would argue that the qualities people are using to define their type aren't actually the right qualities at all. So we're making correlations that don't necessarily exist. Like just because you had two girlfriends who both had blonde hair, even though their personalities may be totally different, you see the similarity between them and then you go, oh, well, I like blondes. I'm attracted to blondes. But OK, are you ready for the, like, the mind flip right now? Are you attracted to blondes because you're naturally attracted to blondes? Or are you attracted to blondes because that is what you have been in relationship with in the past, that you've had positive feelings from blondes in the past? And therefore, your brain is drawing a correlation. Blondes are my type. Blondes make me feel X. when. We all know. I mean, I don't know how many people in the world are blonde, but let's call it 15%. <laughs> Doesn't mean all those 15% are really your type, are really right for you. And I would say a lot of this comes from our biological conditioning. There's something that psychologists refer to as the familiarity principle, which states that you are attracted to things that are familiar to you and you were repelled by things that are different. So if something, whether it be a physical trait or an internal trait or even an unhealthy trait, you are more likely to attract that because you are familiar with it and you're going to feel, you know how we talk about not falling for the spark? The spark is actually you feeling the familiarity. The familiarity principle is at work. But what psychologists discovered when they studied this is that when you were exposed to a, what they call a novel stimuli, something different, you became less apprehensive or less repulsed or less turned off or pushed away from that thing that was other. I would say this is really driven by our biological conditioning to just stay alive, to stay safe. If you trusted something that was unknown, like back in the caveman day, you were toast, right? You might get your head ripped off by a lion. <laughs> you might get your food taken by another tribe, right? But if you stayed with what was familiar, you could stay safe. So 
I'm now translating all of that into dating. Are you staying safe by making a correlation between what is familiar to you and what is your type? Is there a mental connection that actually may not even truly exist? And are you even operating based on what you actually want? As the study said, if you say that you're attracted to a certain quality or you have done the deeper work to figure out what do I need in building a relationship for the future, but then I go online and I'm like, oh, cute butt, swipe right. (laughs) How are you confirming your beliefs? How are you responding to the familiarity principle rather than being the evolved conscious human that you are? acting in your best interest for your future self and the relationship that you truly want or that you truly need to have in your life. Just because it's familiar to us doesn't mean it's the right choice. When we come back, Nicole Lappin will be here to meet us at the intersection of money and dating. There's no truer way to say I love you than by taking care of yourself and your partner. And that's why this year, the gift of health is all you need. And with Everly Well, you can find 30-plus at-home lab tests, vitamins, supplements, and more for every person on your holiday list or for yourself. Everly Well is digital healthcare designed for you with personalized results and accessible tools for long-term health. They have everything you need to find the perfect test or the perfect vitamins and supplements for you or your boo. The women's health, food sensitivity, or post-menopause screening tests are only a few of the options. All right, here's how it works. Everly Well ships everything you or your loved one needs with everything in one little package. So if you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample is collected at home, and then you just ship it back to a certified lab in their prepaid envelope, and that's it. You get digital physician-reviewed results straight to your device in just a few days. If you order vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. And it's so simple. It's so simple that over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals. And now you can help your loved ones do the same. I took the women's health test because, y'all, I was feeling some kind of way. (laughs) Ever since I stopped breastfeeding my son, which has been a little while, you guys, I have felt like my hormone levels were just off. You know, I couldn't regulate my temperature. I always wondered if like my thyroid was off. Things were just not flowing like they had before. And so I got the Everly Well Women's Health Test and I was able to do the test at home. It was super easy They give you all the materials that you need, and then you just ship it back, and you wait. You get a text, and you get an email, and they're like, go in, check your results. And then I had my meeting with my doctor. I could take them the results and have them analyzed by my trusted physician, but I had all of the information there ready for her. And by the way, I had asked her to do this test for me before, and she wouldn't do it in the office because she said hormone levels fluctuate, but Everly Well accounted for that. And you collect samples at different times so they can really get a read on where your hormone levels are at. So that's my experience. But I can't wait to give you the gift of health because it is so easy to share this holiday. And for listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a discount of 20% 
20% off an at-home lab test. It's everlywell.com slash datesandmates. That's everlywell.com slash datesandmates for 20% off your next at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash datesandmates. Welcome back, lovers. Cuffing season is upon us. And if you have questions about how to make your dating app work for you, how to attract the right kind of love into your life and not just whoever ends up DMing you, swiping right, <laughs> landing in your inbox. There is a better way. I know you've been thinking, is there a better way? Yeah, there is a better way. And I can show you how to do it for free for a limited time only at datesandmates.com. You can get my free profile starter kit. It'll show you like step-by-step step how to craft a winning profile that's going to magnetize the right kind of dates to you. And it's yours for free and gets you also on the mailing list to know about future opportunities, about the new round of the Dating Accelerator program that's coming up. And all that is yours for free at datesandmates.com. Lovers, 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 it's time to balance our love books right now. I have Nicole Lappin with me here today. She's a financial journalist, television news anchor, and businesswoman. You may have seen her on CNBC, CNN, Bloomberg, or MSNBC. Nicole is also a New York Times bestselling author, no big deal, of four books, including her most recent one, Miss Independent, A Simple 12-Step Plan to Start Investing and Grow Your Own Wealth. She's also the host of the podcast, Money Rehab, where she rehabs your wallet so you can get your financial life together. And now she's putting it all together for the Dates and Mates audience. She's going to put your love life and your finance life all together in one. Please give big smooches to my guest, Nicole Lappin. Oh, my gosh. That was a really good kiss. You brought your own... You know what's weird? It sounds just like the show sound effects. I think we should keep it. <laughs> and, then I, and then I'll give your kisses to our guests going forward. Aww. We'll just keep the love going. So this is love. so awesome to have you here. And oh my gosh, you, first of all, you've been really busy. You've been all over. I get <laughs> around. Over. You get around. But you're talking about something that's so, so important with your your new book, Miss Independent, a 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. From a female perspective, you're also able to give insights that I think a lot of women, like we don't talk about these things. We don't gravitate towards these things. So I love that you're a voice in this space and, and helping people to navigate finances. Thank you. I think it's the last taboo we have. Well, I don't know. This is a dating and relationship show. There are a few taboos. Uh, when I'm at dinner with my girlfriends, we will talk about everything before we talk about money at the dinner table. We will talk about sexy time and bikini waxes. And then I ask them about what they're making and it's crickets. I'm like, girl, you just told me about your landing strip. And now it's <laughs> this is crickets? Oh, okay. Okay. So true. I think we should have more transparent conversations about money. In fact, I just had one. Uh, with another friend oh. of mine this morning. I'm oh, like, no. I'm just like telling, ev yeah. Well, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Because <laughs> I I feel like there, it, there, it is a taboo. You're right. And we don't, we don't talk about it. And we also don't talk about it in terms of dating and relationships. But it's really, really important. Yeah. And, okay, we, I, I'm like, I don't even know where to start because we have so much to talk about. But let's just, let's begin at the beginning. Because a lot of my clients are dating, and the get to the date and then the, the conversations about money, it's taboo, but the conversations about money start right away. What do you recommend in terms of like 
that first date or those first few dates, do you feel like there's a still an etiquette of who should pay for the date? Or is this a conversation? Like, do we have to come out with like these hard conversations right from day one? Well, I don't know if you're going on a first date and asking the date what their credit score is. It's not that kind of thing. But you can definitely glean their money habits and their money goals and and how they want to spend money by asking them about what they want to do, how they want a vacation, what they envision. So goals have price tags. I think it's a better way to get into these financial conversations by talking about the goals and then reverse engineering or just kind of reading between the lines with what the price tag is or how they're going to approach that. So I think it's really important to remember that finance talks with your significant other or your would-be significant other don't have to be like this whole inquisition with spreadsheets around the kitchen table with like 401k statements and a flashlight in your face. Like, what were you doing with the blah, blah, blah? No. You know, it's timing. It's tone. It's turf. It's, you know, having a glass of wine, talking about your hopes and dreams, and then getting into sort of how you're going to pay for those hopes and dreams versus, you know, approaching it in an aggressive way. I don't think that there is one etiquette for who pays. I preferred when I was dating to not pay. And this was funny because I had a show with Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur, called Hush Money, where we debated who pays on a first date. And our producer thought that I was going to say, just being this woman's woman, like ultimate feminist, say, well, let's split it. And Jason was going to say, I'll take care of it. It was the opposite. I was like, I do never want to touch that check. No, thank you. I will do the fake reach. But no, 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 I'm not paying. And it's not because I don't, I can't pay or I need somebody to pay. It's because I don't want to pay. And I think there's a difference between the need and the want. So that's my preference. But I think being the ultimate feminist is not telling other women what to do, but saying like, you do you. And if this works for you, amazing. Just be really clear on what that is. Girl, you're speaking to my heart because I've seen, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been coaching people over 15 years. I've seen actually a big cultural shift, particularly like in the last five years, where guys are like, all right, like you, you're Miss Independent. Like, go ahead, let's split it, or let's let's uh, let you pick up some of. The, and I, I like the feminist in me is like, I want to be excited about that. But <laughs> there's another part of me that is like, it's the last vestige <laughs> I think of old fashioned dating. But I also I have a lot of listeners who are in 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 same-sex relationships or, you know, dating some of the same gender. And they're just like, what do I do? So the rule of thumb I've come to is like, I think whoever initiates the date should should pay or should offer to pay. I think we get a little, we make it mean too much, Nicole. Like, I feel like mm. now it definitely meant something. Like, when I met my husband, <laughs> if if he offered to split it, it definitely meant I'm not really that interested. Mm -hmm. I don't think it means that anymore. And so we we have our ideal and then we make a, a decision about the other person based on a rule book that they don't know we're playing by. But I grapple with this. I really do. That's really interesting. I think then being open about the rules is important because otherwise you're setting somebody up to fail. Mm -hmm. And 
Mm-hmm. Every first date or first couple of dates is a test. You're you're testing somebody out to see if they're compatible with you. And yeah. you know what? If you want to go splitsies, then that's great. But don't say you want to do that and actually don't. That's, I think, the biggest problem. When somebody doesn't have the self-awareness and they say, well, I think I should be saying that, but that's not really what I want in my heart, then that also sets them up for disappointment. That's a really good point. And I really liked being in my feminine. Like, I am a boss bitch. I literally wrote the book called Boss Bitch. But in a relationship, I was very clear that, like, I wanted to be that feminine energy. And I did not want to touch that check. Nope, I did not. Are you still that feminine energy? I am. I am. Hmm. And and I feel really good in that. Uh, but it's not for everybody. And I'm not saying the way I did it or do it is what's right for somebody else. But I think that these are tricky conversations uh, for dating. And then they just get more complicated when you move in with somebody. You have to have a more advanced talk and then you get married. You have kids. You have to talk about advanced directives and wills and not super fun, sexy stuff, but adult stuff that, you know, it just gets more complicated. Okay, well, let's make it easy for folks. <laughs> for anyone who's, uh, you know, sphincter tightened with all, with all that conversation. Like, oh, no, I don't want all that. I want the lovey, fun. I, I want to live my best life and have my partner in crime. That's what I always hear. I want my partner in crime. I'm like, let's not, let's earn it. Let's not do crime. Let's just earn it. So here's a question that I get a lot from independent women in particular. They worry that if they make investments, like like you talk about, if they have their own property, like I was just actually writing about this in my book, like if you own your own home, they've been told that's a turnoff. That's a turnoff to men that feel like, oh, you've you've got all that together. I don't know if the the answer to that is let's then just not make the investment because I'm about trying to build some generational wealth, and I know you are too. But what would you say to that? No, that's just not the right person who thinks that's a turnoff. Thank you, next. I mean, my fiance thinks it's the coolest thing that I have all my own investments and that I'm stoked to have a prenup discussion. I'm stoked about it. Take back those hard <laughs> conversations and own them. Yeah, I like that. I think it's just not the right person if it's a turnoff. There will be a person for whom it's a turnoff. Okay, so then the flip side of that is I also hear from a lot of women that they are afraid. They've worked so hard for these things. They've made these investments. They're afraid that somebody's going to come in here and take a free ride. And they're going to they're going to love that I have this house and I have these investments and I'm going to, you know, they're going to get a car and they they get all this stuff out of it. But is it are they in it for the right reasons for love? What do you say to that? Well, I think that is about being really clear to going into dating about whether or not you want somebody who makes the same amount of money as you or more or whatever. Because if you say it doesn't matter, but then you start dating somebody, start, you know, getting into a relationship or marrying somebody who makes less than you, but you are secretly resentful, then that's not good. You don't want to set yourself up for that disappointment of somebody else feeling like they're going to, you know, have entitlement to your stuff. Because when you do get married, it's true. Your debt, your assets, you know, get merged. And so I have long argued for 
credit scores being on your dating apps. Um, (laughs) I wish there was a filter for debt. I mean, there's a filter for more arbitrary things. Like, I would rather have seen whether or not that person had a boatload of debt. And granted, like, obviously, this is not going to happen. But the the point of it is it's more important to know that stuff than whether or not he's 5'8 or 5'9 or whether or not he lives like 25 miles or 30 miles away from you in the long run. Yeah, but we don't get to those conversations until later. I am seeing, like, looking at the OkCupid data, I am seeing that people are, they're looking at debt in a different way. And a lot of people, it's funny, Nicole, because a lot of people say, I want to date someone who does not have debt and is not, you know, financially, is, is, is in a strong financial position. But I have to think that like the majority of people right now, especially coming out of the pandemic and, you know, the market being very volatile and everything going on, like, I think we're sitting here saying, I want something that maybe I don't even bring to the table myself. Well, there's different kinds of debt, right? Uh, There's so-called good debt and so-called bad debt, like good fat and bad fat, avocados versus french fries. You know, having student debt uh, because somebody went to medical school or is investing in their career, you know, their future salary is considered good debt. Bad debt would be considered credit card debt or consumer debt. And so I think if you peel back the onion, you have to understand not all debt is created equal. So where is that coming from? And financial infidelity is real. I mean, you know this, like lying about your money, lying about who you might owe it is one of the biggest causes of divorce. And and financial abuse is real. 99% of domestic violence cases have financial abuse components too. So that's when somebody oh, wow. says, don't work or I'll take care of you. And then you're kind of stripped from your own independence. And that's when a lot of women, not to you know get dark, but let's go there if you want, don't leave abusive relationships because they're scared that they won't be able to afford to pay for themselves or to support themselves. And they don't know where the money is. And they, you know, just kind of checked out. And this is not because they're not educated. I've had women on my show who worked in finance or in the financial services business, had their MBAs, and still were just like, oh, he, he's he got it. He's going to take care of it and get screwed on the flip side. Mm, yeah, that's so true. And you say in your book even that Money changes the balance of power in relationships. Gosh, and we must have to do our own work to understand our own relationship with money. I would imagine that if you haven't dealt with that, then you're bringing that financial, you call in the book, financial trauma into your relationship. And that's got to play out when you're with your partner. For sure. We all have financial trauma. You know, I have a lot of family financial trauma. I bailed my mother out of jail when I was little using cash under the sink behind the maxi pads. Like, I'll never forget those days. My house was foreclosed on, you know. And so I I have obviously gone through a lot of work. I've done my own work. I've gone through a lot of financial education. Of course, I teach other people about finance and still like it affects me. And so you never get to the other side fully, but you can recognize what those things are. And it doesn't even need to be that dramatic from your family. It can also be your friend group. Like, do a lot of your friends have a bunch of debt? Do they hide purchases from their significant others or macro Trauma. So the dot-com bubble, the housing crisis, 
the pandemic, all of that affects how you view money. And I think it's an evolved thing to not only do the work on yourself, but have that clarity of your own financial trauma in order to be able to have those open and honest dialogues. Because really, like financial intelligence, I think of it like EQ. I think of FQ. A lot of how you approach other areas of your life will be how you approach money. So if somebody's avoidant in their relationship, then they're probably going to be avoidant with their money too. So it's important to look mm. out for those red flags or yellow flags or even green flags when it comes to like little clues that you can gather along the way. You're so so right on that. And actually, I was thinking about this the other day, just how my husband and I were having a finance conversation and I was like, it's kind of fortunate we grew up in a very similar way, similar financial situation, and we both have similar attitudes towards money right now. And that really, it really does come into play when we're planning for the future. And like, we've been married 15 years. Like, <laughs> we're still planning for the future, y'all. <laughs> like, it's still happening. And so, being able to speak your partner's language. Now you're, ta you're talking about like FQ. There must be like a financial love language as well. <laughs> totally. And by the way, it doesn't need to be compatible. And chances are, you know, it's going to be super unlikely that you guys make the same amount of money. So somebody is going to make a little bit more and a little bit less. And I suggest having a yours, mine, and ours account where the hours account is weighted. So you know, for easy and extreme math, let's say one person makes a million dollars a year and one person makes a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, putting ten percent in the hours account will feel weighted. One person would be a hundred thousand dollars and one person would be ten thousand dollars. And so that feels equal uh, in that contribution, even though it's not the same dollar amount. For my listeners, I want to get to where they are probably in the trajectory of their relationships. Mm -hmm. And I find that now the norm is that they move in, that people move in together as a step in the relationship towards marriage. Used to be, you know, 50 years ago, you you got married first, you had the legal agreement and understanding, yeah. and then you moved in together. Now things have flipped. So I'm wondering if we need to be flipping our expectations and conversations around finances before we move in with a partner that we are not married to. Yes. So talk about some of the horror stories I've seen on the flip side of bad breakups. You know, it's important to know whose name the bills are under. So I've seen women in particular, and, you know, that's who I advocate for, get screwed in one of two ways. Either the bills are under somebody else's name, and so they're not accumulating credit, or the bills mm. are under their name and they're not getting paid, so their credit is getting screwed. So that's a really important topic to discuss as you're moving in together. Okay. So what would you suggest that you split the bills or you put them both in both of your names? Yeah. Or you can, you know, do a trade-off for whose name different bills are under. Just be aware. There's no hard and fast rule. It's just be aware that you want to also be taking care of your credit and doing your own credit hygiene no matter what. And what about for like buying a property together? I've seen that as well, where before people are married, they're like, okay, we've got this joint asset. But that feels that feels tricky to me. 
totally tricky. I mean, I've seen also where that happens, but it's actually only under one person's name and then it gets ugly and then the other person doesn't really have rights for it. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's dicey to have a big asset like that before you're married. Um, but also a lot of people aren't getting married or, you know, are in partnerships yeah. or whatever. And so I get that that should be a thing. I would just suggest to really be cognizant of where your name is and where it isn't on any sort of deed or bill. That's very smart. So moving in together, we also have to have these awkward conversations about who's paying what and people may be making different amounts of money. Do you recommend that? Is it like the same of you give a percentage and set up a joint account if you're moving in together? I like that. I like that <laughs> idea. Um, you know, it, if it doesn't resonate with you, maybe you sort of divvy it up. But Again, if you divvy it up and you keep separate accounts and your your name is on something that isn't being paid, then you're going to get screwed. So it's less about like what exactly the rule is and just knowing what is going on. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way, but I've seen too many horror stories where somebody just doesn't have passwords, they don't know where things are. And, you know, God forbid something happens, like, God forbid your partner dies or something. Like, those are real occurrences that can put you into a huge bind if you don't even know how to get into accounts. So, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes women will want to get their financial lives together after they get divorced or if their partner dies. And that's like being reactive, right? I am hoping that more women will be proactive about it, but it's hard to be proactive when nothing crazy has happened to you yet. You know, so in terms of setting ourselves up for the future, is there like a formula for how much you should be putting away and putting into your investments for the future at versus your discretionary income, especially considering like rents are going up and interest rates are going up. And so the cost of living is higher and yet you might not be making more money. Yeah. Compound interest is an amazing, amazing force. And oftentimes we are familiar with it when it works against us through credit cards. So the way that your credit card snowballs out of control, you can take back that very same force of compound interest and use it in your favor when you're investing. And the earlier you start, the better. A lot of times the mean girl inside our head tells us narratives like, we don't know math, you know, we don't have enough money to start, all of these types of stories, which are just stories. I like to break down a spending plan, and I think of a spending plan instead of a budget because it's kind of like an eating plan where it's sustainable and it's not a crash diet or budget. Mm. So the three E's are essentials, end game, and extras. So 70% of your overall spending plan should go to the essentials. So your food, your housing, your transportation, all that jazz. 15% should go to the extras. So the latte, the mani-pedi, all that stuff. I will never tell you not to buy a latte because I think that's just not sustainable. I mean, people start in the beginning of the year saying, hey, Nicole, I would be, you would be so proud of me. I cut out the morning latte. No, not really, because come like 
April or May, I bought a Gucci purse because I was so good and I didn't buy a latte. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well. You could have had 400 lattes, honey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It is bad news bears to, you know, deprive yourself in that way because you're only going to binge later on. It's just what happens. And then so account for 15% going to fun extras, whatever does it for you. You know, you could hate lattes. It could be something else. That's not the point. It's just have that accounted for, and then 15% to the end game. So the future Demona, your future self, your retirement, your savings, your investments, all of that. How much should we allocate for dating? (laughs) (laughs) It depends. Like, what category are we putting that in? Well, see, I do have people do the math on this. Like, it's not free. It's not free to date. Like whether you're paying for a round of drinks or you're paying to get your hair blown out and your nails done or the new outfit, like there actually is a cost to dating. And I encourage people to 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 look at that and see if it needs adjustment. Yes. I mean, when I was dating, I quickly figured out that I needed to have phone calls with these people before I went out because otherwise I wasted lashes like that five dollar pair of Ardell lashes. They were like toast. Yes. And so that yes. person was not worth the lashes, I would always say. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Nicole. You can learn more about Nicole at NicoleLappin.com. And be sure to follow her on Instagram at Nicole Lappin. Get your hot little hands on her book, Miss Independent, a simple 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. And check out the Money Rehab podcast. She's got a big old billboard, y'all on the way to LAX airport. Like, this is big time. You need to get up to speed with what Nicole Lappin is talking about. The links will all be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. Despite our wonderful conversations, I can no longer see myself kissing my match. What should I do? Stay with me. I've always got you covered with your dating and relationship dilemmas, so let's get into the question of the week. This one comes in an email from a listener named B. B says, I met a nice guy on a dating app. We've had wonderful conversations. The problem is when we did our first video chat, I noticed he has rotten teeth. I do not see myself kissing him. What do I do? What do you do, B? Well, first, you got to really figure out what's important to you and whether rotten teeth I mean, are we talking like rotten, like, like halitosis and like, is this like crystal meth teeth or like, what is the level of rotten? I don't know. I don't know. Because not everybody has great teeth. And I, you, some people have heard me say on the show before, I had an idea about teeth. And then it turns out my husband has uh, an implant in his front tooth from a series of uh you know, brotherly fights <laughs> and tennis injuries <laughs> and not his fault and totally fixable. Like that's something cosmetic. So is it about that you think that they don't have a good lifestyle because they're not taking care of their teeth? Or is it just like right now I don't picture myself kissing this person because we might be getting a little bit too far ahead. I would hate for you to throw away a perfectly good relationship over something that is as potentially impermanent as teeth and as another implant survivor, not that kind of implant, 
No, a teeth implant. I have a tooth implant. It can be fixed. Things, these things are cosmetic. They can be fixed. Like I have also had clients whose dates didn't dress that well on the first date and they they wrote them off and then found out that when they had more money, they could dress better or that they just didn't have time to go home and change clothes or that they just don't have great fashion sense. But does that mean that they won't be a good partner to you, that they won't treat you well? I don't know. Like, I get what you're saying. You want to visualize yourself kissing this person. But I would just hate for you to throw out the baby with the mouthwash water <laughs> on this one. It seems like a thing that could potentially be fixed. And I feel like you wouldn't be asking this question if you had a deep, deep emotional connection to this person. You had wonderful conversations, you said. But did you have a deep emotional connection. Like I would say, imagine it this way. If you were on Love is Blind, you watching that show? Yes, I'm watching that show. Of course, you're on Love is Blind and you have this bond with somebody and then you propose to them or they propose to you and you get to meet them and then you're like, oh, the teeth. Are you going to turn around and like go back to the pod? I don't think so. I don't think you are. So I would say focus on the emotional connection first, because if you don't have a deep emotional connection, the, the other stuff like the window dressing, that's when we start looking for reasons to say no. Right. And we're like, oh, this is a potentially OK person. But then we could find a reason. We could find an out. We could find bad teeth in the form of something else. Anywhere. You said rotten teeth, though. I don't know. Can you can you send me a picture? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think it's worth still investing in the relationship if there's something else there. Now, if you're long distance and all you have are video chat dates, then give it, remember my three date rule? Give it at least the three dates on video chat and see what else develops. If you've got to see this person next IRL, then you might have a different feeling when you see it in person. Like you might be more repulsed. You might be like, this is a really great person in so many different ways. And this is a cosmetic fix that can be changed. So let's not get too far ahead after our first video chat. It's still early days, but let us know how it goes. I hope you enjoyed episode 437 of Dates and Mates. I love making this show for you. I love to know what guests and topics you loved. I'd love to hear your questions. And the DMs are open, y'all. I'm at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I promise if you've sent in a question recently or in the last couple months, you are in queue. We will be doing more All Dear Demona episodes too. So we're doing our best to get to as many questions as we can. You can also call me or text me with your question at 424-246-6255. That is a 24-7 voicemail. So you can leave your question on the love hotline. We'll be back again next Tuesday with family therapist Jordan Green, who will be talking all about the developmental stages of dating. Until then, I wish you happy dating.